0: Welcome to Cinemakers, Steven Soderbergh. This is episode 18, Bubble, from 2005. I am Tobin Addington. I'm Mike Manzi. And I'm Joey Lewandowski. And this,
1: I have a memory that the first time I ever heard of this movie was in Tobin's World Cinema Movements (laughs) class, where you talked about how revolutionary this film was, because it was one of the first ones, or maybe the first one, it was released in theaters and on HDNet. TV channel on the same day and then it came out on DVD like three days later. As far as I'm concerned, that's about where the end of revolutionary things kind of like that's like that's all that's sort of worth talking about with this movie. It's cool that he used local actors, he just found local talent. I think we've seen that done better since, like with Joe and such. Shout out to Cage Club. But this movie, thank God it's short because it, oh boy, and especially. I mean, I'm sort of condensing a lot of my thoughts right up front here, but like, especially after the girl dies and like things have to get heavy, I'm like, oh, nobody can really pull this off as far as I'm concerned.
2: Yeah, this is, you know, coming down from Ocean's 12 and then again going to the complete opposite end of the spectrum where we've got like zero budget, zero actors, zero script. We're just going to go to the middle of nowhere and shoot a movie and hopefully like something's going to come of it. Uh, It's just, I admire Soderbergh for going back to film school every now and again like he does, but it could be frustrating at times, and this is kind of one of those times for me. I think, you know, I think that it's quick is good. I I actually like the way it looks. I think he is able to shoot digital better than a lot of people, even still today, but especially in 2005. You know, I, I think it has its moments, but for the
1: most part, yeah, I wasn't really too thrilled with this one. I'm worried before Tobin speaks that Tobin's going to love and defend this movie.
0: I'm going to love and defend this movie, guys. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. Look, I don't love this movie the way I love... Out of sight. This is by no means a perfect movie, and I and I think "revolutionary" is the wrong word. I I'm hoping that what I said in that class was that this was a revolutionary. Well, I know what we were talking about. We were talking about the digital revolution was the name of, yes. the, of, the, mm-hmm. of the day that we were we spent three hours talking and about these. movies. Bear in
1: mind, this was a class ten years yeah. ago, almost to the month. Like this right. is, it's been a right. while, so I don't know what the context was but probably
0: so I right. would not argue that the movie itself was revolutionary I, I do think you are right that maybe the most interesting thing for non-filmmakers about this movie is the idea that this is one of the times he began to play that, that his experiments went beyond how the movie was made and began to tackle how the movie was released it's a thing he's going to play with both sort of in, in terms of how movies are financed and and made all the way through how they're released so outside of the actual production of the movie he's going to be experimenting with film in in that way from this point on which he's still doing to, to this, this day, day
1: as we as we record this Logan Lucky comes out this weekend and In that GQ article, which was great, which I linked a couple times on the Cage Club Facebook page, facebook.com slash Cage Club and at Cage Club Pod on Twitter, about how, like, you sell the foreign distribution rights to make the movie, and then you sell, like, the Netflix rights to get it into theaters here, and then you just profit. And so, like, I love that 12 years later, he's even refined it further, and I do think that, but go go ahead, I'm sorry, sorry to cut you off, but he's still doing it
0: today. Let me mount the opening statement in my defense of the movie as a movie. So setting aside how it was released and that whole thing. And then recognizing the fact that this might be only of interest to people who are you sort of deep cinephiles or filmmakers. The idea that it's not like he's working with non-actors the way you have in Joe. Because Joe, you're working with Nicolas Cage as your star. That's, that is not a non-actor. This is a movie built entirely around non-actors. This is a movie built entirely around the way these people live. And one of the things when I teach a scene from this movie frequently, this, this this movie is about these three people living in a in sort of deep in Rust Belt in a sort of hard scrabble Ohio and working at a doll factory. And there's a moment where one of the characters is brought into the factory. It's ten minutes into the movie. She's brought into the factory and introduced to the group. And you get these series of shots, and one of them is of our main character, this woman named Martha, who's probably in her forties and she's uh, overweight and she's got red hair and. she's... She, she does not look like the lead actor in your movie. She looks like someone who you would find at a
1: KFC drive-thru, which is where they actually found her. She was working at KFC drive-thru, and they said, would you like to be
0: in our movie? And she right. said She's yes. She's a manager at KFC. Mm-hmm. So, And had worked there for 24 years by the time they shot this movie. So when I show this to the class, I'm showing it for a variety of reasons I won't get into, but then one of the questions I ask at the end is, who do you think is the, is the main character of the movie? And no one ever guesses her. And I would submit from just those shots. And, and you wouldn't really know from the shots necessarily. It's just sort of to say, to demonstrate that, that we have some bias in who we think, you know, or who does get to star the, the institutional bias in movies about who gets to star in movies made by Oscar winning directors. And it's not these people. And the fact that this movie is about people and ways of life that don't get movies made about them. I think to start with, that's the beginning of my defense. Is that what a great way to take a bath after the the sort of slick, super rich oceans, you know, the artifice of oceans to go sort of as humanist and as and as miniature and as a sort of hard scrabble existence as you can. I think that's a star for this movie.
1: I totally appreciate all that. And I don't dislike this movie. I didn't love watching it. I I think it's tough to, like, I don't think this is a movie that's really made to be enjoyable. I don't think.
2: Would you agree with that? I find this movie extremely mundane. I mean, it's it's literally a step away from like voyeur cam or something, like just watching people at work, like real people, which I don't feel like that strengthens the point of any of the themes going on. Like I almost would have valued the movie more if these were real actors, like more of an Aaron Brockovich situation where you have these situations or you have these small towns and, and these events occurring that People don't aren't really you know privy to or they don't get national attention or you know you don't know how bad the recession is or how poor the, the town really is like I get a lot of it for, like I get what he want what he's doing I just don't really feel the impact maybe as much as he wants me to I appreciate it like I'm glad he tried doing something like this because you know frankly no one else at his level is right everyone is just sort of seems like they're playing it safe so I do admire him for that but I just feel like the movie was just way too simple and not intriguing and kind of wraps itself up really quickly, and it's over before you oh, know it. I don't know. I just really didn't feel anything
1: from <laughs> yeah, I'm I sorry. Can, I can feel Tobin cringing through the microphone. But that's okay.
0: I, yeah, no, this is good. This is good. Um, I, for my part, I find this movie to be intensely alive. I don't think this is mundane at all. I think these shots at the beginning of them working, this is all about isolation for these people. Like, they, they don't speak when they work, and they, they're putting together these really creepy shots of, them in, of the dolls being made in this fashion. Well, if you think
2: dolls are creepy, yeah, which they are. You know, that's just like deep rooted stuff right there. I think he's honing in on it's like creepy doll imagery going to unnerve And you.
0: these shots of the young man with all this, just this machinery around him, like, all this, they're isolated in these, like, within the shots, as well as just surrounded by this by this massive machinery, which is has to do with the, you know, like, they're making these dolls to be given out at Christmas to kids or whatever, right? Like, they are under the wheels of capitalism. This is the, the whole, and, and that's sort of visually represented every time that they're in this terribly lit, buzzing, noisy, like, th- these are the people who are in Metropolis who live deep underneath the, <laughs> the the top, right? Like, that's what we're looking at here. And I think the thing that, that makes it for me makes that so vital is the, the main relationship between this 40-year-old woman, Martha, and the young man, I forget what his name was, that they have this, like, relationship that is both strange and tender and creepy. And I think that to set that odd, strange relationship in the middle of this dislocated, isolated, machine-filled world is, I find it very alive.
2: Maybe the movie needed an extra 15 or 20 minutes because there's barely any of that set up. You really have to draw that out yourself. Like there's one scene when they're driving to work together and she's like, you're my best friend. I need your picture. And he's like, okay, whatever. But they really are just co-workers. I got the sense that maybe she's a little delusional and throughout the movie, I feel like uh. that's... So uh, that's revealed to be the case from where I'm standing. But yeah, I didn't really get a great sense of their character per se. I get the isolated stuff in it. But for me, what I saw was these are empty factories. All of our jobs are overseas. You know, that's the point I was picking up from that mainly.
1: Well, that's also depressing. The only thing that I really gathered from the factories that they're making these like creepy or not, but they're making these like beautiful, happy little baby doll faces that directly compare that to the rest of, like, the, the juxtaposition of the dullness of their life. And it's like, oh, like, where does, like, this joy come from for little girls? It's from these, you know, depressed, broke, middle-aged, friendless people, right? Like, it just, that sort of resonated with me. In terms of what you were saying, Mike, in terms of, like, trying to see what's going on. Like, this is a movie, like, it feels like it shouldn't be, but this is a movie that I read the Wikipedia article while watching because I was like, wait, did I miss something? And like, no, it's just she is really close friends with him and he doesn't really reciprocate it. And I'm just like, oh, like, I I agree with you that I think that could have maybe set up a little bit more. I mean, I I don't think it's terribly set up, but I think that it it feels so short that, like, not that I would want it longer. I don't know what I want. It does feel like something, to me, is kind of missing. And also, the other thing I want to say is is that there is a deleted scene on the DVD where you find out that she has like a malignant tumor in her brain. Martha has a tumor. Oh. And that's, so she's, which I think is <laughs> terrible. Like, if that was in the movie, like that's, oh
2: boy. That would have shined a light on why there's that blue light at times, though, perhaps. Like, when she's sitting in church and then the blue light shines on her, I'm like, oh, okay. And then at the very end, when she sees the blue light, and I guess then she sees in her mind that she actually did commit the crime. And I was like, oh, I I just sort of chalked that up to like revelation or something in her own head. But it was supposed to be like she had a tumor. Like, that's kind of crazy.
0: It's funny because I got tumor when I saw the film. I guessed tumor. You don't know. You don't know that. But like, you know, is is she mentally ill? Has she been broken by religion since the first place you do see it is in church? I love those moments where the movie suddenly goes from this uh, sort of Objective, you know, we're just watching these people doing these things. Then, so subjective into her, into her mind, into her her soul in some way, the way she sort of sees this world. I just, I, I find that, I find those moments pretty electric. I, I, I want to circle back to one thing, Mike, that you were saying, where you said this, it's a movie that you have to draw out, that where you have to do a lot of the work, and that's really true. This is a thing that, again, I admire about him, and I may have a different sort of tolerance for, <laughs> given the the kinds of things that I watch. But I, I like that you have to watch this movie. You have to invest in you have to like be you have to be an active viewer to sort of meet this movie. Like some some movies in the spectrum of entertainment and the there are movies that you could just sit back that just happen in front of they happen to you. They come all the way to you. They bring everything you need to enjoy the movie, to appreciate the movie right up to you. And you can just sit back and relax. And there are movies that you have to just Avant-garde movies where it's nothing but a white screen for 25 minutes that you have to, you have to bring everything to because there's they haven't done anything to the film to make it a, a movie right and this is not that but it's somewhere somewhere closer to that in the spectrum it's clearly a story there are clearly characters but you're totally right this is not a I, I'm very glad this movie did not have a a tighter script you know and, and that said it has an inciting incident it has rising action it has a midpoint it has an all's lost moment it has all the things that we you know th- that make a story it's just To get the full experience of what he's trying to get, you have to walk toward the movie. You have to sort of develop it on your own. You have to meet it partway.
2: Yeah, for as simple and basic it is, it's actually kind of well-coded, you know, and I found something extremely Soderbergh about this movie and in the way that he has sort of explored communication throughout his films, you know, and a lot of movies, you know, characters, you know, even in the last movie where we had the Lost in Translation sequence in Ocean's 12 where people are speaking gibberish, but they understand exactly what they mean. I mean, we've seen this come up time, time and again with him, and I feel like he's there in full force with this movie with the characters like... It's all about the manners, right? Mm -hmm. Their mannerisms, Mm -hmm. the way they look at each other, but they may not see how other people look at them. And then the dialogue, there's just... Not only is there such a little dialogue, but it's just like the most we get is the girl talking about her old job, you know, and like none of it really, I mean, it, it, it tells you a little bit about her as a person, but it doesn't really propel like the story or their plot or anything like that. Like it's all just very conversational type stuff. And yeah. And I think that's what adds to sort of having to figure them out yourself as opposed to being told explicitly like this is the type of person they are. This is what they're capable of.
0: Yeah, I think that the dialogue is really interesting in this movie because it's clearly a lot of it is improvised. And I think that one of the things that we're going to begin to connect in some of his smaller movies going forward is that they're very much about how people make money. And so much of the conversation that goes on is about, "Hey, can you babysit? I can pay you. What are you going to do with your bonus if we get a bonus?" The moment where Rose steals the money from his from his drawer, you know, where he doesn't even have a bank account; he just has money set aside in his room for emergencies. Like part of it, I think, for me too, is that this is. You know, I I grew up in a area that had a lot of working poor, and I, and I, I sort of I recognize that. I think that that's something that you. It, what it means then is that the dialogue is not about advancing the plot. It's it's about illuminating the characters, but only through how they live, what their concerns are day to day. And I think that's kind of a that's kind of an amazing thing in a in a you know a quote unquote Hollywood movie, which
1: also is the all the more striking and gut wrenching, I guess, when you compare it to the last movie where these guys just stole $200 million. Like, oh, we'll just steal another $200 million to pay it off. We just happen across money so effortlessly. And like, look at our faces. Like, look how handsome we are. (laughs) And then here you're like, oh, we're going to get a $50 bonus. Like, what are you going to do with all that money? And like, we see them at least once, if not, I feel like this whole movie sort of takes place at a fast food restaurant. Like, they're (laughs) at least there at least once, right? If not more, just having a conversation there. And it's like, oh, like they just don't spend money on things. And it's sort of, it's reflected in the, Movie making, too, which I like, in that these are actually their houses, and like they're not spending money on finding locations, they're just shooting where they can and where they can for free. I don't necessarily like this movie more than I did when we first started this, but I do want to make clear that of all of his weirder experimental things, his sort of non Hollywood stuff, I do like this more, and I would definitely rewatch this over like Full Frontal or K Street or, you know, all that kind of stuff. Like, there's something about this that I really like. It's just, I get what he wants to do, and I just think that this specific iteration of it doesn't work for me. And I read that this is the first of like six movies he was going to do like this. Did he ever do another one this way? Or is this sort of like a failure that they just didn't continue this distribution style?
2: I feel like he goes back to these roots again with stuff like Girlfriend Experience, where it's like, I'm just going to grab like one... Well, she was a porn star at the time, right? Sasha Gray. So it's like, I'm going to go outside the industry, grab this one porn star, and then make this movie with her. So I feel like he goes back to this type of filmmaking, but I don't think anything's like in the in a series of bubble movies or anything like that.
0: I think that Girlfriend experience is the other one that they made under the deal. I could be wrong, but my memory when it came out is that that was the next one, and then Magic Mike wasn't, but sort of could have been. There's we'll get we'll get there when we get there. Um, in terms of its concerns with money and some of the uh, some of the casting choices in that movie, but no, they didn't. They certainly didn't do all movies, and they didn't they didn't do them the way that he had planned to do it.
2: I do feel like this movie, like wh- I would watch it again because I do like the way it's shot, like a lot actually. I know normally don't like movies you can tell are shot on video because they seem blown out or overexposed, but he's got such a good eye, he knows exactly like the values in which he's working in and what's gonna read and what won't and I feel like he's gonna you know this is like an extension of his low light to no light running gun style and I think we're gonna get a few more movies that look somewhat like this like it was reminding me of the informant and later movies and even behind the candelabra like I feel like those movies look a little bit like this movie too so I mean I do feel like there's there is merit to this film I like a lot of what's going on it's just as like a movie as like a story it just didn't I I just wasn't like completely with it by the end I just needed more for it to work as like a complete movie for me and not just like as an experiment or something
1: this movie was shot using the same camera as Star Wars Episode Three and Sin City, and if you think about how those movies look, and then how this movie looks, it's like but those movies were shot on green screens. Well, yeah, I, I understand. I understand. That, I mean, especially, I mean, like all of Sin City is like basically ninety nine percent green screen, but like it's it impressive how sort of dirty and ugly and messy this looks. Like it fits. It fits right. the tone, which I, I appreciate.
0: Yeah. And that's totally by design. This is, again, we're, we're coming off of something as slick as an Oceans movie. This is what he, I think, where his soul needs to go. I would I would suggest next time you have 73 minutes or however long this movie is, giving it another shot. I find that it, you know, I was intrigued by it when I first saw it. And then like the second and third times, it sort of opened up further for me. And I think, so I think this is the fourth or fifth time that I've seen it. And I, you know, when Rose shows up, when this young woman shows up and sort of drops in this, in terms of this not quite love trial, Triangle, but this relationship triangle between the established relationship of the the forty year old woman Martha and the young man Kyle, and then Rose shows up, this young woman. There's a tension that shows up in the movie at that point. Every shot of Martha watching the two of them get closer and how threatened she is by everything that Rose does, and you can't tell at first is Rose really just being genuine or is she like out to kind of get Martha in some way? You know, I I think that one of the things you can't do with this movie is do anything else when you're watching it. If you're, if you're Check in Twitter if you're watching something else on the side. This is a movie that that does to be fully appreciated. I think does need your attention. Uh, and given that you could watch it like five times in the space of the Dark Knight, I think I think one could give it. Hey, hey 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 <laughs> hey, 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 hey. <laughs> I do think that like
1: this is another example where a lot of these Soderbergh movies I'm seeing for the first time, and I'm having a harder time talking about them than I did about Cage or Keanu because there I'm able to focus in on one specific thing. Here we're sort of judging it as a whole and when I'm watching a movie for the first time and trying to take notes and trying to remember what happened in the sequence and like what I think and reflecting back on previous movies or previous shots or previous discussions we've had it's a lot different whereas like if Cage leaves the screen I can sort of mentally check out write down what I think and then sort of get back to it you know what I mean like it's a different experience doing this and I still don't think that I'm good at talking about it this way because there's just so much more to appreciate or talk about even if you don't like it even if you don't doesn't click for you doesn't work for you you sort of can't look away at all because every shot is, so, especially with him, every shot is so careful and every shot is so precise and chosen for a certain reason. And if you look down to take a note and you look back up and there's, you know, you might have missed a Martha glance or something, you're like, oh, well, I, you know, it's small, but it adds up to be a big difference.
2: Yeah, it is sort of a different way of watching movies for podcasts. Like, it's almost as if Cage was every character in this, in the movie, you know? Like, you have to pay close attention to everything all the time, right? Whereas, like you said... With...
1: Well, it's not even like Cage is every character, but Cage is every character, and also every background is also Cage, and, like, all the music is just, like, him singing, and then also all of the editing. Show. Like, it's all just, like, everything is him.
2: Well, this is the second time I saw it. I, I saw it originally because... Of the gimmick, I was like, "Oh, a movie I could get on DVD the same day as in theaters." It's not even playing near me anyway, so like, I, I fell for that, and and I enjoyed it back in the day. I mean, this was around the time where, 2005. I guess I was I was going back to school and taking film like way serious at that point. So I probably liked it a lot more then when when I was like starting to get into like indie films a lot deeper and just weirder stuff. But this time again, I don't know, I grew a little impatient, to be quite honest. I just needed there to be more velocity to it. I felt like if they were going to keep it slow, I needed to feel that dread or menace a a little harder. I got it with a few shots, but I got the sense that I was supposed to be maybe a little more unnerved throughout the film than I was feeling. And I just wish that I felt the way the movie wanted me to feel about it, Um, but I Don't. I don't know. I just I just don't really I just don't really get the impact. But but I can appreciate what he's going for. I like the interloper sort of development. I I feel like that was a good direction to start taking some of the non action to like get us going somewhere. I was like, okay, this is something you can work with, this little triangle thing between these three people. But again, like I just wish we had a little something else.
0: What did you guys think uh, after the murder happens with, with sort of the investigation, with the how the the cops and the, the specifically the de- detective and all that stuff was handled?
2: Well, that just felt like an actual cop, like how he would proceed. That, to me, felt like the realest stuff in the entire movie, mm-hmm. as if they just gave the cop all the fa- – like that actor knew what was going on, but the uh, people he was talking to didn't. I really – I actually liked that section of the film a little more, the investigation into what happened.
1: I just, I don't know. Like, I I was just, not that I want something. Again, another shout out flashback to Cage Club, where we have the frozen ground, where there's that interrogation scene at the end, where they're sort of breaking uh, (laughs) John Cusack. Yeah. And like, he just has like this meltdown. I was just waiting, but like, I got the sense that nothing really Big was gonna happen and nothing big does really happen because it's sort of you know a by-the-book detective talking to a woman who is sick and not necessarily simple in like a simple way but like you know not fully aware of what she's doing and we weren't gonna have this big emotional moment and it just sort of it's an anticlimactic wrap-up in the way that the entire movie is it's intentionally so and i understand that but i just wanted something it feels like this whole movie is just sort of unless you're paying super close attention to these sideways glances that you're talking about. And there is some kind of, you know, frenetic music that I noticed throughout. But like, it feels like it's just a straight line kind of across, I think. And I think that's reflective of the town, reflective of their lives. But in terms of watching something that is immersive or that you really get invested in it didn't click for
0: me. I think that there's an interesting thing that sort of came up for me watching at this time which which you just sort of brought up again, which is the idea that like no one pays attention to these people. By no one I mean, you know, the 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 Hollywood apparatus does not pay attention to these to these people. And we are not program to invest in these kind of characters in the same way. And, and the movie reflects that by the way they're shown to us. They're not, you know, she doesn't have a save the cat moment. There's no, we don't know anything about her other than that she sews and she lives with her dad and she's really likes hanging out with this kid. You know, there, it's, it, it's really not, it's not going to sort of deliver on any of those other things. I think the cop is great. I totally agree. He feels like a, and maybe was, probably was, given what the way this movie was made. I don't know for sure, but an actual detective or had been an investigator of some kind, because it just feels like the way this kind of thing would actually go. Like you know, there's no junk, junk, you know, from Law and Order or whatever. Like it's just he's going about his business. This is a guy doing a job, the same way they're people doing jobs. And I think that that if I, uh, I would knock the movie for the the, the one place where for me the non acting acting sort of does doesn't work really well is the scene where Kyle is being interrogated by the cop and is told that Rose is dead and like suddenly you see like here, here's a person who's supposed to be getting news that the young woman he went on a date with last night has has been murdered and he just doesn't have the acting capacity to be able to to sell that moment but I do think that for me the interrogation at the end between the, the detective and Martha where he tells her that she really has done it I find that very emotional she is acting from such a genuine place in that in that moment and yeah there's not it's not a big climactic thing but in her life this is huge and I just feel that she as a non-actor was able to access some place of great pain and despair in that moment and and in a way that I don't think an actor actor would have I don't know I don't think a trained actor could have given that performance and if nothing else in this movie is sort of worth your time the build up to and then and then landing on that moment as small and as quiet and off-kilter as it is, I find her very, very effective in that moment.
2: I actually like the guy who was Rose's ex, who has like two scenes. He has the one scene where he asks, you know, for the money and the weed, and then she kicks him out. And then the other scene when the, when the cop goes to his house, I thought he was, he, he seemed pretty genuine to me. Um, I And I actually, Martha grew on me by the end of the film. I, like, I feel like the moments are really there in this movie, that if there were real actors, like, they'd be killing it. They'd be knocking this shit out of the park, but because, like, I don't really like it's mostly for me it's the guy like the boy because martha has a really good moment again at the very end when she's in jail behind bars and there's that that like horrible visiting room that i've never seen portrayed before that had to be real you know like you yeah, never yeah. see people go to prison and visit people and have it portrayed behind like and it'll look like a fallout shelter door or something it was just really weird and creepy uh and i feel like when she's telling him all this stuff. I'm like, yeah, I'm feeling that. But then you just have him on the other end going like, I don't know, I don't know. And it's it's totally killing like everything she's given me. I'm like, oh no, oh, it's just not landing on the other side of the door. So like, yeah, I, I do feel like the non-acting thing isn't a total loss. Like there could be value to it beyond just the gimmick of these people aren't actors, but I'm not sure if these, if these guys pulled it off entirely.
1: I do wonder if having real actors really would have made a difference because this was based on an outline by the guy who also wrote or did an outline for Full Frontal. The woman. The woman. I'm sorry. By oh, so, I'm so sexist. I'm such well, a pig. Co-
0: Coleman Huff? Like, you, there's no way to know from the name. Like, it sounds like a man's it name. It sounds like a law firm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I didn't click. I didn't go deep on any of these names in this movie. But here, like Soderbergh also shot and edited and cinematography and like did like you know Peter Andrews as one and his mother's name and maiden name as another and just all these different things that he was wearing so many hats I just sort of I didn't investigate further because I figured it was just basically like five people on set and it's Soderbergh and four actors and we're just going to do this anyway getting back to what I was saying I don't know if having real actors would have made a difference because in Full Frontal, where they're just sort of aimless and just sort of slice of life, and there you see real actors and you're like, why aren't they doing more? You know what I mean? Like here, not having real actors, you're sort of able to be like, well, I'm not going to expect knockout Oscar winning performances. And anything I get above that, it's sort of like a positive. If you had Julia Roberts and you had like a Margot Martindale and you had a you know, a Brad Pitt. it would have been a completely different everything. Well, I don't think you get famous actors.
2: I just think you get real actors. Actors, actors, yeah. okay. Like you go further than community theater, like or <laughs> the drive-in. Like you actually just, you know, you get no name people that but people who have actually been in front of a camera, been like on a stage, has had to memorize lines. Like I'm not saying you gotta go, Brad Pitt, but yeah, just you know, working actors.
1: I do really want now that now that I said it, I do want character actress Margot Martindale to be in this movie as Martha. That would be pretty I would
0: I would like that. Well she should be in everything. I mean that's that goes without saying. I agree. I'll dissent again. I think that that having non actors in this movie is we are used to evaluating movies and movie performances by a certain standard by a certain style of acting and that style has has changed over the years in cinema I mean you look at you look at silent movies the people who are considered you know so realistic and and so sort of just true and you watch them now and you think oh that that seems very artificial that doesn't seem very real and we're going to look back people are going to look back if we're you know if, if people are still around in a few more generations at a Brad Pitt or a Julia Roberts or a movie star now who are giving what seem very like very realistic performances and say oh that's weird like we don't act like that anymore and and so I think that this is just a different style right this is this is uh, a movie as steeped in style as anything else that he's done and there's something for me about non-actors when when the movie is just totally filled with people who who just aren't actors is that they're not acting and I, I would prefer someone not acting to someone acting badly and I think that one of the reasons to not get somebody even from community theater but to get somebody who just is just a person who lives this life, and then give them these lines to say, and then shoot them the way Soderbergh does. It's all in the shots. It's all in the way that he frames them and the way that he cuts to them listening to one another and the looks to one another. That's part of the power of cinema. You don't need actors. They don't need to be acting. And so then at that moment where she is called upon to act at the end and does so honestly, I find much more sort of haunting. Because if then it to me feels like a, a real woman who's really being broken in that moment and not like we, the way we think of, you know, throwing, tearing their hair out, gnashing their teeth, the way an actor would approach and sort of calculate that scene. And I think that that's I think I I would stake a claim for that in this movie and other movies that that um, I know I'm not I know I'm not alone on, but I'm pretty close to it. But I, I do think that in this movie in particular, I think that really works for me anyway.
1: So Tobin, where do you have this on your list of favorite Soderbergh movies, aside from way too high?
0: I have it at number nine,
1: oh okay that's yeah.
0: not bad uh, my, right now mine goes uh, Out of Sight Ocean's Eleven, the Limey Traffic Erin Brockovich Ocean's Twelve Schizopolis, Sex Life the Videotape and then Bubble and I, so I put Bubble in with the Bubble Kafka King of the Hills Solaris these movies that I, I am sort of that I like maybe even love parts of or kind of it's on the love end of that spectrum but I'm not uh, you know I, I'm not going to return to it a ton it, it is I think this is a much more successful experiment than something like Full Frontal I, I, I would say that
2: Absolutely. I feel like it's it, it's got more direction, it's more centered, more focused. Full frontal just felt like so haphazard to me, even thinking about it now, comparing it to this, like this is this is way yeah, I would definitely revisit this before watching that again.
1: Well I don't know if anything else to say about this movie. I didn't hate it, I just didn't like it. As much as I sort of hoped that I would. I didn't think I was going to love it, but I always, these weirdo little movies, they could, they could really go one of two ways. And like this one sort of didn't go either. I didn't love it and I didn't hate it. It was just sort of in the middle. I was like, oh, that's an unexpected result. Told me everything else to say
0: about Bubble. One last thing, which is that one of the things that I get such a charge out of the, with this movie every time is at the doll factory, there's this boss and he has the best haircut in the world. It is. <laughs> it, it's worth looking for a, a still of that or watching the movie. It's only 73 minutes uh, to find this guy's haircut. Cause it is no one in a movie has ever ha- it ha- had a, 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 worse non-ironic haircut in, in their life. And I applaud that man for, for wherever he got his hairstyle. Cause I think it's, I, I laugh at that every, every time.
1: Mike, any last non hair related thoughts or hair related thoughts? Either way. I feel like it's not as bad as I might be
2: making it out to be. I, I, I liked it more than I'm coming off but I just don't feel like it completely worked for me you know that's all I'm getting at I I just needed more I like the concept of non-actors no script sort of film school shoot like let's just go out and like let's just make them like a you know a pure movie you know this is like probably closer to like some of that dogma stuff that we've previously talked about before and maybe veering into that sort of territory and he's good at it i think he's good at it but i kind of want to see him just make like great movies instead of okay movies and i know he's got great movies in him, so when he makes movies like this, I, I understand what he's doing, but I'm frustrated a little bit watching them from time to time, where I'm just like, yeah, like, you could do anything. Like, you're great. You can do Ocean's huge, big movies, and then you could do these tiny, little DV movies, and that's awesome, but I just want to see your awesome movies, <laughs> you know? Fair. it's It's fine, though. Like, this is not nearly as bad as something like Full Frontal, as far as I'm concerned. Like, yeah, this is, this is watchable. You could get through it. And there are definitely things about this that I appreciate, but just on a whole, it just didn't completely work for me.
1: Are there other directors either that we're going to do, Mike, or that we're not going to do, or Tobin, that you just think of who, well, I guess the Coen brothers too, like that varies so wildly between blockbuster and like weirdo, little, like sort of essentially micro budget, hundred thousand dollar budget movies. I feel like the the Coen Brothers
2: tonally have drastic shifts from film to film, but I don't feel like they've ever made like a blockbuster, huge, big blockbuster film. But like, there is like in the way of Soderbergh that like from film to film they can throw you sort of off kilter from what you're expecting.
0: I think I think the Coen Brothers have made accidental blockbusters. They've never made anything. They're not not as sort of stylistically diverse by any stretch as Soderbergh is. I wonder what their biggest budget ever is.
1: Probably, would it be something for like, like intolerable cruelty? Do you think that's, it's gotta be up there probably, right? Spoiler alert, we will be covering them, I don't know, years down the line? I don't remember when we're doing the Coen <laughs> Brothers, but we're going to do them soon-ish. They're scheduled, I just don't remember where they are. I'm just wondering, because I mean, like, Soderbergh very clearly has like, okay, this is a $150 million movie, and then now here's a movie that I can do for like the, the coins that I find between my couch cushions or whatever. It's
0: fascinating in that way. Yeah, it really is. It's, this is one of the cool things about seeing about about starting with Soderbergh is getting to see, as we were talking about at the beginning, him not only sort of develop as an artist and to see where his these tools that he plays with, like using non actors or, or whatever, in in one movie get like translated into something kind of wild later on, and then and then all the way out to the fa- to the fact that he experiments with how movies are released and with how they're um, how the money is raised and all that kind of stuff. I think is I think is one of the really cool things about starting with him.
1: Well, for all the episodes of Cinemakers that we've already done and everything that's still to come, and I, I do want to sort of give us credit, even though it has something to do with us, that he is now, it seems like he's more active now than he was, far more active now than he was, even when we started recording this a couple months ago. I mean, we've sort of returned him from obscurity into mainstream film. That not only is Logan Lucky coming up, but he's also, they just announced that he shot an entire other movie, like, in secret. Oh, on an iPhone, yeah. It feels like he's doing all this different stuff. So, I mean, this might be the, we might never get to a next director, because he just seems like he's churning them out fast then we can turn them out so we will see but for all things cinemakers everything we've done everything's going to come next as well as all of our other podcasts you can go to cageclub.me or facebook.com slash cage or at cage club pod on twitter you can subscribe on apple Podcasts or stitcher or google play you can email us you can just email joey at cageclub.me we can read stuff on there if you have thoughts about cinemakers we don't really do that on any other show other than Zach tack but i mean you can always email us that's it go to those places do those things everything's free and enjoy I'm Joey Lewandowski. I'm Mike Manzi.
0: And I'm Tobin Addington.
1: And we'll see you next time on Cinemakers.